Happy Resurrection Day, Novation family. He is risen, right? He is risen indeed. Some of you might have responded back when I said that. Grew up saying that. He has risen. And we'd say he has risen indeed as a congregation. Um, coming to you from our basement again. And I think Janelle and I now know what Wayne's World felt like when they <laughs> recorded in their basement. And uh, kids, you can ask your parents about Wayne's World. But it's crazy. I was thinking 2018 was a very difficult year for the Applegate family, us. And many different trials and things we had to go through. And then 2019, for some of you, was hard as well. And, you know, this year we were off and running. And then this shows up to the whole world. Not just an individual going through a trial, but, but a whole world is experiencing, um, you know, the difficulties that this has, has brought about. And I often think about the disciples and the people that would have walked with Jesus during his three-year ministry when he took his disciples with him and did his miracles up until, you know, his death and resurrection. And I think about what would they have felt? What did they feel? when they saw Jesus get arrested, punished, and then ultimately crucified, they watched him die, and then they saw him get put in the tomb. Like, what, what did they feel? I can imagine their sorrow, you know, that it was the death of their dreams because they had, had these hopes and dreams that Jesus was going to be a, a general-like Messiah, and restore Israel and all of that. And they saw him die and they didn't understand. They didn't understand why he had to die. And Jesus over and over told them, I'm going to suffer and die, but on the third day, I'll rise again. And that's what we're celebrating today is he did not stay dead. He rose just as he said he would on the third day. And so I'm sure when they saw him, their, their, the risen Jesus, their, their, sorrow turned to joy the darkness turned to light and I was thinking you know for for many times in our life many things that happen to us the trials and things that we go through sometimes just feel like a dead end and we just feel like man there's there's it you know where do we go from here and yet God is in the business of turning dead ends into detours you know when you go through a detour you're driving somewhere, it can be very inconvenient when the road that you're wanting to be on, and you got to be kidding me, i got to go through this neighborhood and over here to get to where I want to be. Well, God's detours always lead to something better. And so regardless of what's going on in your life today, the trial, it might feel like a dead end, but if you give it to God, he will turn it into a detour because that's what the resurrection of Jesus does. It it. Uh, resurrects you know faith that was cold it resurrects hope that was fearful it resurrects relationships marriages the resurrection power of Jesus the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us we got to remember that today and so to to be discouraged like like the disciples and and the people that followed Jesus they were ultimately distraught when they saw Jesus die and to be discouraged, to be in despair, 
is to have a deprivation of hope, a deprivation of confidence. And if you've ever been sleep deprived, using that word, like if you haven't slept in you know a day or day or two or whatever, that's a bad feeling. That's happened to me a few times traveling, you know, across the world or whatever, and it's just that you're a zombie, you know, and you just physically, you're just and emotionally, you're just numb. Well, to to be deprived of hope, man, that's way worse than the physical part, and we need hope. Today we're talking about a living hope. Because of Jesus, we have a living hope. Hope, to be defined, is having confidence in Jesus' faithfulness to his word. It's, it's having confidence in Jesus' faithfulness to the things that he said and promised, the things that he claimed to be, the things that he proved to be, and what he's promised for all who, who put their trust in him. I was thinking about Peter, especially this week as, you know, preparing this message. I was thinking about Peter and what he went through um, in his life with Jesus. He was, he was a fisherman, right? And a, a Jewish fisherman, blue-collar dude. And here he is fishing one day, and Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he says, follow me. And immediately, Peter dropped his net, and he, and he followed Jesus, and he began to enter into this relationship with Jesus as his disciple. And we see another time, this is what I love about Peter, is another time he's, uh, Peter is fishing, and he comes in from a long night of fishing where he didn't catch a thing. You fishermen out there, he got skunked. And, you know, that was his live, livelihood. That's, you know, what, what he need. It was a necessity, not just a fun day fishing. And Jesus tells him he says hey uh, go back out into the water and cast your net and I guarantee Peter thought to himself you know wait I'm the fisherman you're a carpenter <laughs> this is the worst time of the day to fish and I didn't catch anything you've got to be kidding me go throw out my net again and Jesus wanted to teach Peter something even greater about who he was following and so Peter says because you say so I will and even though he didn't understand what Jesus was asking him to do, may have disagreed to some degree, he does it. And he catches the biggest catch of fish that he had ever seen in his life. And he realized who Jesus was. I think we all can relate to Peter to some degree. He, he was, uh, had zeal without wisdom. He had to have the idealisms of, of life, idealistic things about life shaved off by him. He was humbled by life. Can you relate to that? I can. Life's humbled me in many ways and will continue to do that. Jesus, on several occasions, over and over, would tell his disciples, he's, he would say, listen, I'm going to have to suffer and die, but on the third day, I'll rise again. For some reason, that just didn't get through their head of what Jesus came to do. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill the Old Testament, all the things written about him. And when he would say this, a couple times it's recorded that one time Peter took Jesus aside after um, Jesus had said that to him. And he said, Jesus, that's not going to happen on my watch. Like, I got your back. And Jesus literally rebukes him and he tells him peter you don't have 
in mind the things of God, you have your own agenda. You have your own agenda about who you think I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to do. And man, that was a stern thing. It's, we, we can see that in our own lives. Often we want God to do things our way and, and do our agenda. But we need to align ourselves to his agenda, to his life. That'll be the best kind of life we can ever experience. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night of the, the Last Supper, he told um, them, his disciples again that he was going to have to suffer and die and he was going to rise again on the third day. And Peter says, no way, it's not going to happen, not on my watch. And he says, I'll never, I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And man, Peter was probably shocked by those words because in his mind, he was, he was, he was all in with Jesus. He just didn't have the right understanding of what was going to happen to him. And it go, we go on to see that after Jesus you know, was arrested in the garden, that Peter took out his sword and he cut off the ear of one of the guys that was trying to arrest Jesus. And Jesus leans over and he, he heals the man. He shows a miracle right there and heals the man's ear. And he turns to Peter and rebukes him again. And he says, Peter, put away the sword. My kingdom does not come with the sword. So there's Peter again, another another failure, another time where he's probably even feeling more defeated because then after Jesus was arrested, all the disciples scattered. And Peter, as he was walking through Jerusalem and, and he would, people would say, hey, aren't you with that Jesus fella? And Peter would deny, he denied it. He denied it once, twice. And on the third time, a little girl said, hey, aren't you with that man from Galilee? And he says, I am not. And after he did that, the rooster crowed the third time. And it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He was in utter despair at his denial of his, of his master, of Jesus. His, and he was... He was in such sorrow that he wept bitterly. Well, we know that he then saw Jesus die and be buried. So in between Good Friday and that first Easter morning, Peter would have experienced such discouragement, such despair. But then on that third day, just as Jesus said, he, he rose from the grave and the ladies ran, went to the grave and, and saw that Jesus wasn't there and that it was empty. And they run back to the disciples. And they say, Jesus isn't in, in the tomb anymore. And so they run, Peter and John run to the tomb. And Peter sees the tomb that's empty. I think a little bit of courage began to rise in him as he was trying to recall how many times Jesus said he was going to die and rise again. And then Jesus appears to the disciples and he's risen and they, they, they handle him, they, they touch him. And I can just see Peter's courage beginning to rise and his hope being filled, this living hope rising up in him. And then Jesus takes Peter back to the Sea of Galilee and before Jesus ascends back to the Father, he restores Peter and he tells Peter and he commissions him, he tells him to to feed my sheep, take care of the church, help me build the church. And Peter becomes one of the greatest figureheads in, in Christianity in the beginning of it. And then on the day of Pentecost, 
after Jesus had, had ascended to the Father, he promised that he was going to pour out the Holy Spirit on the disciples and that they were to wait. And sure enough, that happened. The Spirit of God falls upon the disciples and Peter goes out and he preaches a message. And thousands of people believe in Jesus. Thousands of people become followers of Jesus. And that's the birth of the church. And people have been believing and following the message of of a living hope that we have in Jesus, that he lived, he died, and he rose again, and that he's coming back again. Peter was, at the end of his life, in, in the early church, was very persecuted. And uh, they kept talking about this other king and this, you know, this new religion and all this kind of stuff. And the, all the disciples were, were killed but John through persecution. And the Romans crucified Peter. And Peter had gone from this guy who wimped out when a little girl asked him if he was a follower of, of Jesus or not, was he with him, to a guy who said, you know what, when you crucify me, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was, so I want to be crucified upside down. What an amazing thing. He was now filled with faith because he had seen the risen Jesus. He had been restored by the risen Jesus. And that same message is true for you and me. Jesus is alive. He's alive and well. As I prayed about what to share this morning for our Easter message, is immediately when I said, Lord, what do you want me to, to say? Like that. First Peter Chapter one, the first nine verses was in my mind and I went and read it and it was like, yeah, that's, that's the message. That's what, what we need to hear. And the reason I told you all that about Peter is getting his vantage point, getting his angle of the death and resurrection of Jesus and walking is very important when we read his words. Who is the person that's writing to us? All that I just described about Peter is, is the one that we're reading from this morning and going to take great courage from. At the time of the writing of his letter, uh, the Romans were really persecuting. Like I said, Nero had burnt Rome to the ground and then blamed the Christians. And so the Romans then began to persecute uh, Christians. They, they would use them for sport and in, in, you know, throw them to the lions, to the animals, as human torches, put them in prison. And uh, so Peter writes this letter to encourage the churches that were the, the, the believers that were scattered throughout the region, that they, in this time of crisis, would remember where their hope was. How apropos for where we are today in a time of crisis, you know, maybe this celebrating the resurrection the way we are today is, is a reminder that nothing <laughs> kept Jesus in the grave and nothing is going to keep the gospel from going forward throughout the world. I think many, many, many people are thinking about God. They're thinking about life. They're thinking about the afterlife. And so we need to keep pressing on and, and sharing the good news in the middle of this crisis. So to daily live in the hope that the resurrection of Jesus provides, that living hope, Peter wants to rem us to remember four truths. So there's four truths that we're going to talk about in these first nine verses of chapter one of 1 Peter. And the first thing he wants us to remember is that this is not our home. This world is not our home. 
Here's what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It's interesting that he uses that word. He calls them exiles. Um, if he was talking to us today, he might say Novation Church scattered throughout the, the front range because that's what, where we're at right now. But an exile, that, that word's interesting. An exile, you can also use the word stranger, pilgrim, an alien, or a temporary resident. That's really what that means. These words describe people who are living in a, in a place that's not their homeland. They don't have citizenship in the land that they're living. And so that's what an exile is. And that's the picture that we should have of ourselves is that this isn't our permanent real home. When we get discouraged, when we worry, we often worry about things that are, that are temporary things. Money, cars, homes, you know, all this stuff. We worry about things that really can be false hopes. You know, we're, we're talking about a living hope today. And hope, our hope, ultimate hope, has to be in someone or something that can't be taken away. And that is the person of Jesus can't be taken away from us. You know, if we die, we go to be with him immediately. So that death has no hold on us anymore. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And, and our hope can't be in things. Our hope can't be in temporary stuff because we're temporary residents in this, in this world that we live in. Um, we need to remember also, like, like Peter, I, I think using him as an, the example today of his vantage point prior to the resurrection of Jesus, he was frustrated. His agenda wasn't being accomplished. And you and I need to lay down our agenda and lay down our things and just rest in the hope, the living hope that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is upward. Our citizenship is is in heaven where Jesus is. Is ultimately the kingdom of God is where we're, what we're citizens of. And so as Christians, we, we live in two worlds simultaneously. Jesus, we talked about this last week in his prayer in John 17, that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. He sends us back into the world to show the world what God is like, to, to, to declare the good news about Jesus. And recognizing that, we, I would say this for all of us, see your life as a short-term mission trip. We've gone to the Dominican Republic five times. I've been on other short-term missions. And when you go on a short-term mission, you go to serve, to love, to do what you came to accomplish, to love one another, to grow in your faith. And when it's over, it's over. You go back home. And that's what our life is like. If you can remember that every day, going into a foreign place is eye-opening um, because you realize you're leaving the comforts of America behind, especially if you go into you know, a place that maybe doesn't have all the American comforts. You know, I love it when 
you go to a foreign place and you come home in American bathrooms. Like there's just something, you know, it sounds, sounds arrogant, but uh, American bathrooms and all of that, the food and different things. But when you get off the plane, you already recognize that maybe they don't, you don't speak the same language or you don't know the culture. Maybe you don't look like the people in that, that land that you're in when you're in a foreign land. And when you, you recognize that, you realize, I'm not home. I think it's easy for all of us to think this is home, but it's not. We need to recognize that this isn't our home. When we go to, to the Dominican, we've gone five times uh, mission trips there, and we've got to know uh, families and people in this sugarcane village called La Valsa. And I remember the, the second trip that we were there, just seeing how, how much different <laughs> we looked than the people of that, that village because outcomes... Dennis White, who's six foot six out of the bus, and they see him, this huge Americano. And then Joel Dennis is a big boy, and Patrick Cavanaugh. And, and then, you know, you just realize that, like, we're different in that sense of, like, how we look. We're in a different world, a different culture. If you've never gone on a short-term mission, do it. It is life-changing, especially when you go and you get to, to talk to people in another culture about Jesus or about their faith, and you realize even though we may not speak the same language or look alike, we're bonded together because, because of Jesus. And I, would, I would say this, that you know, when you follow Jesus, you transfer your allegiance from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of Christ. You transfer your allegiance from the kingdom of this world and the world's way of thinking and, and temporary thinking to the kingdom of God. We transfer that. I just want to talk to our young folks that are watching right now. You're younger. Um, don't wait until you're older to fully follow Jesus. Um, if you, you will never, ever regret all the days of your life walking with Jesus. Um, I have regrets because when I was younger, I didn't walk with Jesus. You can live your life without regrets. You're going to make mistakes. Things like that are going to happen. But the best life you can live, young people, is as a disciple of Jesus, letting him call the shots in your life, believing that he knows what's best for you. Man, I wish I would have learned that when I was young, that when God tells me to do something or not to do something, it's because he loves me and he has my best interest at heart. He wants me to live the best life. So remember that today. Don't get sidetracked by by the things of the world. Don't get sidetracked um, by all the, the distractions. Give everything you have over to Jesus today. And that goes for all of us, young, old, and in between. The second thing that Peter wants to remind us of is that we've been chosen by God. You've been chosen by God. What a wonderful truth. You've been created by God and chosen by God and redeemed by God. He writes, he says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And let, let that sink in. Grace and peace be yours. The word grace means unmerited favor, that we don't deserve any of this. It's the grace and generosity of God in him wanting to share who he is and his life with you and I. 
chosen by the Father. What a wonderful thing that is. We've been called by the Spirit. That means like when Jesus said no one can see the kingdom of God unless they've been born again, that Him awakening our spirits, making us alive to realize that we were created by God and that He has purpose and plan for our life and to be able to see the kingdom of God in and around us and the kingdom of God at work within us and at work in others. We've been cleansed by Jesus, by His death and resurrection. But let that sink in. You've been chosen by God. It feels good to be picked. It feels horrible when you're overlooked. It feels rejected when you don't get picked. (laughs) I remember summer year after my freshman year of of college, tried out for a, a traveling baseball team, and I got cut. And I was way better than the coach's son, but coach's son always gets to play, right? And God's working on that pride part of my life still to this day. But um, that didn't feel good. And it doesn't feel good when you feel overlooked or rejected. But I can tell you today, you've been chosen by God. You were created by God. He loves you deeply. Um, I always think, man, my amazing wife, Janelle, she could have had anybody, but she chose me to be, you know, her husband. That warms my heart. And it, it, and how much greater that God chose us to be with him. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that is. We're not just tolerated. We're not just accepted. We were sovereignly chosen. What a high calling it is that God has, has showed us who Jesus is. What a high calling it is when Jesus told his disciples that as the Father sent me, Now I send you, as the Father sent me into the world, I send you back into the world. As his disciples, you know, we got to remember Jesus came to show what God was like. So now it's our responsibility, that high calling and being chosen by God to show the world around us what God is like. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. He's patient. All these truths about Jesus. So this should be encouraging to you. This should remedy some of the discouragement and anxiety that you've been chosen by God. And because you've been chosen by God means you have a wonderful purpose and a plan that he has for your life. The third thing Peter wants us to remember is that nothing compares to what our ultimate future has in store for us. 1 Corinthians 2 says, it's quoting from Isaiah, that no eye is seen and no ear is heard, and no mind has ever conceived the glorious things and the great things that God has in store for us. Like no one's ever thought it, heard about it. It's, it's unfathomable to us right now to what eternity has in store. So important that we remember that. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. A living hope, guys. We have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus, of what we're celebrating 
this this Easter 2020, and we do should celebrate that living hope every day, because our hope, our inheritance, our salvation cannot spoil, perish, or fade. In this crazy crisis, people panic, bought toilet paper. That toilet paper is going to end up running out. People bought too much cheese, too much whatever. And unless it was a can of raviolis, that stuff is going to perish, right? And it's, it's going to, to spoil. But what, the hope that we have can't spoil or fade. And I was thinking, you know, life can be good. Like, I enjoy being alive. I enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy my family. I love being with my church family. I love what I get to do with my life. It brings me in incredible joy. But the truth is, as good as life can be, what God has in store for the future is going to blow anything good away, you know, million times more in the life to come. And the flip side of that is for those that experience discouragement or depression right now, that it's not going to last. Joy is going to come in the morning. And ultimate joy is going to come in the, in the life to come. Because in life, we experience happiness, sadness. We experience, uh, you know, times of, of, of joy and sorrow, right? But either one that we're feeling is going to be, you know, way overshadowed in the future in such a better way by the future that God has for us in the life to come. The fourth and, and last thing in this passage that we're, we're looking at this morning that Peter wants us to remember, to live in hope daily, is that there is a purpose to our problems. Remember the context um, of Peter's writing. He's writing to the churches that are in crisis. They're discouraged. They're being persecuted. So he says this. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says, you may have had to suffer trials. What do you mean we have had to? <laughs> like, is it necessary? And I think it is to some degree that how are we ever going to know the, the good if we haven't experienced difficulties, right? How are we going to know, you know what is really good? If life is always going smoothly, we won't know how much we really depend upon God or how much we need God. F faith is not faith until it's tested. Faith is not real faith until, uh, faith cannot be trusted until it's been tested. I was thinking about, uh, you know, times that I've bought used cars. When I buy a used car, I always take it to my good friend, uh, Steve Craig, and he'll take a pee if the if the person selling the car will allow me to take it so that I can make sure I'm not buying something that's gonna you know cost me a bunch of money down the line and I remember one time I had this car picked out on the outwardly it looked great 
inwardly and it was clean and it was, seemed like the right vehicle. And when he put it up on the, the rack at his shop, we saw all this rust underneath there. And he said, don't buy that car. <laughs> that car is deceivingly, you know, looks good because it's, this will cost you tons of money down the line. Well, I was testing that car to see if it was the right one. I, th I think we have to allow trials to test our faith, but trials don't just test our faith, they actually grow our faith. God uses trials to grow our faith. The purpose of problems in our life is, is to refine our faith, to make it deeper. The, here's a good illustration. Friendship isn't friendship until it's been tested by conflict. When you experience conflict, that's when, and you're able to get through it on the other side and even be better friends, that's when you know you have a true, true friendship or not. Same thing is true when our faith is tested. That's how we know it's genuine. When trials come, it refocuses, it, it re refines our faith. And we're not supposed to be thankful. Hey, bring on the trials or yay, this is such a joy to go through this. That's not th the truth there. But we're to be not thankful for the trial itself, but the result of the trial. And the result of the trial is the genuineness of our faith, the strengthening of our faith. Think about Peter. His, his agony of what he went through in his own personal trials and seeing Jesus die and denying him and all of that to the other side, man, that's what led him to be the apostle that boldly preached throughout the book of Acts and would get thrown in jail and, as I told you, ultimately crucified for preaching Jesus. Man, his faith was battle-tested with trials. He knew the deliverance of Jesus. He knew his ultimate hope was not in this world, but in Jesus and his promises and the life to come. He says in, in, the, in the verse there, he said that, your faith, which is worth so much more than gold. A goldsmith, when a goldsmith wants to get the, make the purest gold, they, they get the gold so hot it turns to liquid, and they get it so hot that it burns out all the impurities. And a goldsmith knows that when that gold is, is, has no more impurities is when they can see their own reflection in that gold. And... God created us in his image to reflect who he is. And we're becoming like the image of Christ in how we think, act, and speak. And so trials have a way of refining that. And God is, uses that to, to make us more loving, more, more loving him and more loving towards others. Someone taught me years ago something that I have always found very helpful. And it's, the fact that life brings problems, life brings difficulties on one hand. And those difficulties and those problems bring pain, right? And so you have problems equal pain. The amount of pain that I experience or that I go through because of my difficulties is determined by my perspective of the problem. If, if, when we use words like I'm devastated over something, that's a big perspective to say this devastated me versus this was inconvenient or, or this was difficult. So we need the right perspective concerning difficulties and problems. We need to have Jesus' perspective. And Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows and problems of many kind. 
But he said, take courage. I've overcome the world. What an amazing promise that is, that we should, we should expect difficulties in our life. That's part of the reason difficulties are so hard is because you know, we, we don't expect them, but we should flip that. I remember reading a book years ago called The, the Road Less Traveled, and in that book, S- author Scott Peck, he said, maybe life is so hard because we think life is supposed to be easy. Maybe marriage is so hard because I thought marriage was supposed to be easy. Maybe parenting seems hard because I thought it was going to be easy. Maybe ministry is hard because I thought it was going to be easy. Fill in the blanks, right? This life brings difficulties and problems. That's the, we have to accept that. And I think the, 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 the thing to take away from that is we don't get to choose um, you know, what we go through in life, but we do get to choose how we go through it. What kind of attitude, what kind of um, faithfulness, etc. How do we, we get to choose how we're going to go through the difficulties of life. And you think about Jesus' perspective about life and difficulties. I mean, Jesus promised that he was going to die and rise again. And he did. Jesus also said that, you know, in this life you're going to have difficulties, but I've overcome. So we have that overcoming power residing in us as we follow Jesus. Jesus also said that, that he was the resurrection and the life, and that whoever believes in him, though they die, they will live. In other words, Jesus defeated our fear of death. We don't need to fear death. Um, death is just the doorway into his presence. So when we take his perspective, then the problems and fears and worries that we have in life begin to change. And I think when it comes to, to, to death and Jesus defeating death, he, you know, he defeated our three enemies, uh, the devil, sin, and death. He defeated all three by his death on the cross. Uh, the devil has no authority over any one of Christ's followers' lives. Sin is no longer your master. It doesn't have to dominate you. You now have the Spirit of God living in you. And we don't have to fear death because we know what happens now when we die. We get to go be with, with Jesus and he's going to set it all right. But I know in our humanness, we still have kind of this small fear of death sometimes. And it's kind of like the, the famous comedian Woody Allen. He said that, he said he's not scared to die. He just doesn't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> That's always cracked me up because I think sometimes we worry about how we might die as believers more than the fact that we're going to die. But to live as Christ, to die is gain. You know, our, that, that, our biggest problem our, that we perceive is actually our biggest gain. And chew on that <laughs> a little bit. So remember, we can live daily in the hope that we have because of, because of Jesus, because of his resurrection. And today, I don't know where your, everyone watching's spiritual journey is. I don't know where your faith is. But I know Jesus is calling you to either A, commit your life to him, give your life back to your creator, and say, do with it what you want to. You're the creator. I'm the creation. Maybe it's recommit your life to Jesus this Easter 
2020. Um, he's calling us. The Spirit is drawing you right now to let go of this life so that you can have real life. Exchange your life for His. I, I wrote out a prayer that we're going to pray together. And I want everyone watching to pray this out loud. Yeah, these are my words. And so, uh, but the, the heart behind it is what's going on in your heart. What's going on in your, your will to say, you know what, Lord, I want to give you my will. I want to give you my life and spend it on what's most important to you and invest it in what's most important to you. So would you, uh, the words are going to come on the screen. Just everybody listening, pray this out loud. and Make this the greatest Easter ever. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this broken world and redeeming my broken life. Thank you for showing us what God is really like. I believe that you defeated my enemies of sin, Satan, and death by your death and resurrection. I am putting my trust and hope in you, for you alone are the source of everlasting hope. I receive your peace in these unsettling times, knowing that you are in control and will work all things for ultimate good because you are good. In your name, amen. As we conclude uh, the message part of our online Easter service, we're going to go back into two more songs of worship this morning. And... Uh, Man, I want you to belt it out. We're going to sing Living Hope. Uh, and we're also going to sing a song called All Hail King Jesus. If you don't know the words, man, let it sink in. But let's, let's sing with joy. Let's sing with a living hope this morning to Jesus and worship to him. And I want to say uh, just a quick thank you to our worship team for putting this together. Thank you for taking the time to, to lead us in song. What a special way that we're able to do this, this, this Easter time. And I want to say thank you as well to my awesome wife, Janelle, for all your hard work and editing and all the things that you do behind the scenes. I want to say thank you to TJ. Uh, thank you for giving so much of your time as well. And everyone who's volunteered to, to keep this online service and keep us connected. But after these two songs, um, I'm going to come back and bring us all to a conclusion. Thank you, Mike and the team. Thank you for picking my all-time favorite worship song in, in All Hail King Jesus. I absolutely love that song. Um, as we wrap it up, let you get to your, your, your meals or whatever you're going to be doing together as, as family. I pray that you feel a rejuvenation of hope, from discouragement to hope, from despair to hope, from depression to hope that you exp have experienced the gospel. And I, I would ask you to do this. You know, often people uh, are most open to go to an Easter service when somebody invites them. And obviously we weren't able to gather together. But if, if you are blessed, this uh, service is on demand. You can share this link with, with a person who maybe doesn't normally go to church or is looking you know, to be encouraged, share this link, put it on your Facebook page, whatever, 
so that people can hear about a living hope. Man, that's what this is about. That's why we exist as a church. We exist to, to declare to the world and, and show the world that Jesus is alive and well and in his, his people. So next week, we're going to be online again. Uh, we're going to kick off a series in the book of Ephesians called Rooted. And we're going to talk about how to be, the Apostle Paul teaches us how to be rooted in Christ and have it strengthen our root system, so to speak, of our faith. I want to also say, go to our um, TND, Innovation TND, our Spiritual Growth Facebook page. And there's some great content that's being put in that on a, on a weekly, daily basis. And also our prayer meeting is, is Thursday at 9.30. And you can follow the links on our homepage. I want to say I love you. I can't wait until we actually can be back together again. Um, but man, have a, an amazing week. Live in the joy of the Lord. May you understand that. Let me pray. Father, bless your people. Lord, thank you for the peace and grace that surpasses all understanding and guards our minds and our hearts. Lord, continue to strengthen your body in this church in Jesus' name. Amen.